Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website building platform with simple drag-and-drop tools to make the business building process easy. Get 10% off your first site with code PINEAPPLE. Service Radio. Hi there, you're listening to Pineapple Radio on Full Service Radio, broadcasting from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. We're your hosts, Atara and Ariel. We're the founders of Pineapple Collaborative, which is a community of over 100,000 women across the country uh, who love food and wine, which is the topic of our episode today, which we're very excited about, as this is uh, a beverage close to our hearts and one we've been following um, throughout our pineapple journeys. Before we get there, um, Atara, you're going to share a little bit about our uh, Squarespace Better Business advice today. Yeah, so if you've been listening to our podcast over the past few months, you've known that Squarespace is one of our keystone partners that help us bring these shows to life. And what we do on each show is we talk about a piece of advice that we've collected from women in our network or otherwise uh, to help us create a better pineapple. So we thank Squarespace for making this possible. And today we have a piece of advice that I think was popularized a few years ago and probably you've seen Uh, in your Slack channels, perhaps at work. It's an idea that we definitely resonate with here at Pineapple, and Ariel and I try to practice this with each other as well. It's the idea of active listening in order to do better by yourself, your teams, and your partners. I think that we all live in this world where there are hundreds of distractions at any given moment with our screens buzzing and pinging and lighting up, And I think now more than ever, it's really important to be present with the person you're with and try to learn and be with them truly. So for example, when Atara and I have conversations, uh, we used to like also scroll Instagram or like respond (laughs) to an email as we were talking about our to-do list, right? Multitasking is the name of the game these days. Uh, But rather we, you know, write down in our notebooks, okay, we got to email our team member um, or, you know, Put the phone away so that we're not also seeing that Instagram notification and I can nod and show her that yes I hear you and yes we will work on that. Yeah and this is something I'm guilty of right now but there's even this study that shows that like having your phone out uh, breaks down the trust with the person you're with because they're constantly on guard and thinking am I going to be interrupted at any given moment? So even just putting your phone in your tote bag is like a big deal. Um, and then when we're with each other, always thinking about our conversations and building ideas off one another, questioning our ideas in a way that's not contrarian, but uh, playing devil's advocate, um, validating each other and empathizing. And that's really our idea of active listening. Awesome. So, um, Thank you, Squarespace, for making making that happen. Today, we are talking about natural wine, uh, which is probably my favorite thing to talk about, drink, and uh, think about. So <laughs> very excited for this episode. Uh, we have Felicia Colbert and Rebecca Pinet. 
I don't know if I'm saying this right. Pineda? Um, Pineda, but it's hard. Pineda. So, yeah. Pineda. Crushed it. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you for being here with us. Uh, Felicia is, um, they're both incredible women in the wine scene here in D.C. and beyond. And uh, Felicia, you can find her as the sommelier at uh, the Line Hotel's restaurant called Rake's Progress, uh, which is helmed by Chef Spike Jardy. And it's a you know Chesapeake watershed, mid-Atlantic regional cuisine. And what's so cool about their uh, wine menu is that they highlight a number of producers in the mid-Atlantic, uh, but also um, incredible producers, farmers from all over the world that share like a very similar ethos when it comes to how they make their wine. So welcome, and Felicia. Hello. Hi, Felicia. And I think also speaking from experience, you need to go to a rake's progress and request Felicia to come and talk to you about the wine. She has the most buoyant, beautiful personality and knows so much about wine. It's really fun to be there with her. Ladies, don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's not just about the delicious uh, wine, but really the experience around it. So thank you. Um, and then Rebecca, um, I think... I got to know you, Rebecca, when you were at Little Cerro, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Two Amy's, like pretty much the best restaurants in D.C., aside from Rick's Progress, um, and recently you've become the manager of Domestique, which is D.C.'s first natural wine shop. Yeah, awesome. and I work with um, Eric, who is my, like, we work both side by side, so. As co-managers, yeah. and it's helmed by uh, Jeff Siegel and uh, the founders of Selection Massal, which is one of the premier natural wine um, importers in the country. Yeah, exactly. It's been really fun to open. We've been open for nine weeks now, so. Wow. Cool. And uh, yeah, I think this is like the time for natural wine in D.C. Like never have we seen so many options at the retail level or, um, you know, in dining and service. And uh, so as a consumer, it's like so fun. And you ladies make it um, special and I think a great experience. Like when I head into Domestique on Sunday, I was there for the Marie Thibault tasting she's a producer from the loire valley in france she'd never been to america before now and was getting to taste her wines uh with the dc community and to see the range of her offerings um was so so fun and i think it brings a side to the wine which we hope to really unpack in this show uh which is making that connection between producer their viticulture, their cellar practices, and then what we taste in the bottle, you know, whether it's thousands of miles away or just, you know, across state lines in Virginia. Um, So we're going to dig into that. Yeah, and I think really what we want to think about is like how does the agriculture come up as a tasting notes in our glass and what is the story and the journey behind the viticulture, and then what you end up buying and tasting. Um, You know, by the time we pull a bottle off the shelf, we might be more focused on getting out of the store rather than really understanding and knowing the story behind the grape. Um, So how do we answer this question from the grapevine to the fine wine? Love it. And, um, you know, before I dig into Felicia and Rebecca's, like, how did you get here? I do want to share that for me personally, this is Ariel. Um, I never drank wine before I discovered natural wine. I mean, 
I drank Franzia in college to get wasted, uh, but that was the extent. And I was always like, I don't get it. The flavors just seem like really inaccessible and heavy or like really sugary. And uh, yet I was always really excited about the food that I ate and, you know, the differences in, um, you know, heirloom tomatoes, uh, like seasonal produce or um, thinking, excuse me, about how, you know, regional cuisines taste different from each other. Um, And it wasn't until I sort of got into this world of natural wine where I realized it was very like producer driven and very much focused on the agriculture, you know, behind the wine in the bottle that I had a framework to think about wine. And it got me so interested in that seeing, you know, uh, these bottles being so different from each other and expressive in ways that certainly Franzia never was for me. Um, But even like some of the more classic, like, Brunellos or Cabernets that my parents had at home. Uh, It was just fresh and exciting and very much tied to like a person and a place that I could really identify with. So yes, it's it's super exciting to to be able to talk about this on air with you all. Yeah. And I think for me personally, this is Atara now. Um, Natural wine has been something that I've been really excited about only in the past year. Um, You know, when I was trying to describe this to my husband, he was like, well, why, what, what's the big deal if someone wants to bring a bottle of cupcake wine to your dinner party? And I was trying to make the comparison between like a beer, like people don't bring a six pack of like Bud Light to a dinner party. You try to like really think about where your beer comes from. Of course, you always think about where your produce is coming from and who the producers are behind your vegetables, but we should take that same framework to how we think about our wine as well. Alrighty, so that's enough about us, and uh, you know we're we're excited to get into the no filter zone of this conversation with you. Uh, that's a bad pun on hashtag no filter <laughs> because there's sometimes no filtration in natural wine. Okay, great. <laughs> so um, Felicia, we're gonna start with you. Um, how did you get into wine, and you know, tell us why you've dedicated your career to wine. Um. How I got into wine, okay. Um, Well, I guess I got into wine just as a part of restaurant training. Um, My initial experience with wine was, this is a way to make more money at your tables. Um, I was working in restaurants as a means to pay my way through school. I learned at a very young age that your parents don't get a vote if they're not paying. So I opted um, the hard but very rewarding route of um, paying my way through. And so um, for a lot of people, that means working in restaurants. And um, I also just really love eating delicious food, too. Um, And the nicer restaurants you work at, uh, subsequently, the nicer food you get to eat. So kind of along my path, uh, I've ebbed and flowed through a bunch of different careers going back um, to school several different times, uh, but always working in a restaurant. And so um, I initially was just like, this is as much knowledge as I need to sell wine at my tables to make my guest happy. Um, My first relationship with wine was, oh, this is a way to make people really happy. And if you know exactly what they're talking about, or if you can somehow translate that, then this end result of happiness is not only more dollars, but like people who come back and trust you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so my first kind of, you know, wine, um, you know, cherry was like, hey, this is a way to make the guest experience elevated in a way that you couldn't before. Mm. That's powerful. And what about Arake's Progress's, you know, wine program is really exciting and different? Um, yeah, it's, we, I, I feel like I defend my wine program a lot more times in public, um, or maybe not in public, in public people are like, oh, it's great, Rakes, we love it. But when people come to sit down, guests sit down at um, um, our, our tables, they're flabbergasted. Um, at the fact that they can't have, you know, a margarita, but uh, they can drink coat roti. And how do those two things fit together? And so um, it's very simple. Um, at a Rake's Progress, our goal as a restaurant, um, what we care about most is sourcing, is giving the most money back to the person who is creating, producing, giving you that good or service. And the way that we're able to demonstrate that right is in our very own food shed because here in the Chesapeake, we are very unique, right? We have a food system that gives you almost anything that you could want, right? Shellfish and grains and, you know, foraged things and and wine, right? And not every place can do that. And so, um, our wine program sits alongside of that ethos. And um, most people don't know DC is the wild west when it comes to wine laws. So um, I can call someone in France and I can say, hey, Mr. Mrs. So-and-so, can I buy your wine? Wine that nobody knows about because you live in a region next to the biggest, largest house with the most money to spray pesticides and give to marketing right i can create this partnership with you because you're a farmer and you just happen to grow grapes and make wine from that um and me a person who you wouldn't know otherwise i found you on the internet because that's a beautiful (laughs) thing now um and i can make sure that your children have food Hmm. and that's great um and that ties in just with what we're doing in the same way right that our dairy farmer we don't even call him we call his neighbor um and he answers he gets a message once a week because he lives down the street because he's Amish right and so the same way we we can make sure (laughs) his family has the things that they need we can create this small but large right ecosystem of wine because wine has always been a global thing right yeah Um, you just can't grow all the grapes in all the places yeah I mean that impact that you have on the food system locally and globally is definitely felt. And it's very cool to hear about that ethos even more. We'll get, we'll dig into it even more in just a second. Um, Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about your food and wine journey? Um, really similar to Felicia. Like I started working in restaurants, um, as soon as I could in high school, just to have a job and make some money. And when I moved to DC, I walked down the street and, to Amy's was like the closest place to where I was living and like convinced uh, the manager there to give me a job and did that all through grad school and then when I finished school I realized I I got a job in the arts and um, realized I still loved food and wine and decided to like pursue that a little bit more seriously and then I went to Little Cerro and the beverage program there is amazing 
Um, Kyle Wilson is the person who runs both upstairs and uh, we call it upstairs and downstairs, but call me little Sarah. And I like became obsessed with Riesling. Um, I never had like the structure to like learn more and I really thrived in it. Um, I like remember he told me about this one producer and he's like an amazing song and like similar to Felicia can like tell a story in a dynamic way that I I've like never really thrived in um, but he told me this pro- story about this producer Uli Stein and I was like I'm gonna go meet him I was like I'm gonna go and like this is when I first started and I was like I'm gonna go to Germany and meet Uli and I did it I was like booked a flight um, and spent like two and a half weeks um, in the Mosul and Alsace and after that I like really I don't know I just became obsessed with wine so I've worked in like retail for Weigand Metzler um, in Cleveland Park, and then when Domestique was opening, I decided I really wanted to go there. Um, but I've had like an amazing, amazing mentors in DC for wine. I'm have worked for Peter Paston for a long time, and um, the last year and a half spent a, like my whole time at Two Amy's just tasting with him. So he's has the most amazing palate in the city, I think, and we would just taste honestly like every day, four times a week, all the time. And like, basically all I did was he made me like ask questions for every producer who came in. And it made me like more confident in my palate, but also just to try like all of the wine out there. Um, And to me that was like, so that was like my journey, but it's not, it's like the same as everyone else gets into it, but I like kind of dipped my toe along the way. So, Mm. but now I'm like, fully into it now so I love it yeah so before we get to our next question uh the concept behind domestique I think is really interesting for this conversation because it uh relates to like honoring the producer first yeah um so the store is a direct partnership with Selection Masala it's very similar to Weigand Metzler actually um but Selection Masal is like very committed to their producers and they're really, really small. I mean, like most of them have like seven hectares, um, tiny, tiny little estates. And Ariel, you met like Marie and Franz this weekend. Um, but I think the producer driven model, it makes it, it makes the wine less of a commodity and like more of a conversation because there is only so much of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like, okay, they do a tasting, hopefully we sell 15 cases. Like, there really isn't that much to sell. So it makes you kind of, like, ask more questions and be, like, more thoughtful in how you purchase the wine, mm-hmm. which is, it's, I don't know, it's a fun place to work in that sense that most people come in and they're not trying to buy, like, enough wine for their, like, holiday party, like, case by case, but they're, like, looking for a special bottle to take to dinner. Yeah, and I think that's what makes each of your work, you know, really special and unique. I mean, Felicia, you were telling us about the story of Arake's progress and how it's very producer-driven, uh, and same goes for Domestique. So how do you get that message across to your customers that come in and make sure that it is this conversation? Um, I mean, I can go first. Yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit more difficult for me. There's some finagling that has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, one thing that's so much easier about wine retail is someone's coming into the store looking for wine. Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas in restaurants, you're like, no, like, don't get a gin and tonic. Like, let me, like, twist your arm. You know what I mean? Or, like, 
So retail, they're like already coming in. And for the store, we basically, because we're brand new, we like walk everyone through. So we like tell them the story of Domestique, the connection with the importer. And I think for some people who are buying wine, like even like those systems of how wine is like sold and purchased is a little confusing. So like just that, like this is an importer who imports wine into the U.S. Like I think that's a little bit like informative for some people because they're working with like and then putting a name to it. So Jeff owns Domestique. Guillaume, Corey, and Tim own the import company, and they work with Marie and Franz. So you can see, like, the whole system, and I think that already makes it, like, like less confusing. So, like, when I go to the grocery store and I, like, see a box wine, like, the system is very big and kind of confusing, and when you, like, meet Guillaume, meet Marie, like, it makes it much easier for it to be understand that there's a, someone making this product, like across the Atlantic? I think for me, um, I always say that retail is my first, you know, my first line of defense because just the understanding of um, that system, right, uh, is something that I, even in in a buyer, right, someone who's responsible for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of someone else's money in wine, um, I still have to ask, my distributors, my importers, like, where are you on the supply chain? And because DC is kind of this Wild West, uh, you do have to first understand, like, okay, this wine has to come from somewhere. And so how that translates to the restaurant, it's different from person to person. For the person who understands, right, then we start to translate what type of wine experience someone wants to have when they come. And that means different things based on different there are so many intersections of that right um the family dual income no kids celebrating their anniversary is not thinking about the same bottle of wine as the ceo who's hosting a party or who's entertaining his wife as the couple with their baby in the stroller sitting in the bar right who just stopped in for a quick bottle before they have to run home and so one just getting people to understand okay if you've never had wine before why does that wine that cost thirty dollars at the store cost a hundred dollars on my list do you understand how that happens right and bringing people into that like okay i know that you're used to buying i don't know where you're used to buying wine at right Mm -hmm. so for some people they very much understand that some people they buy directly from distributors right they buy from importers because their home collections are so large and so it's an interesting way to bring people into that conversation into the restaurant because you have to have so many other conversations before that or you have to have a lot of assumptions or you have to talk at a level of introduction without seeming condescending and expertise without seeming condescending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a fine line. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I've, I've only ever worked in a taco shop when it comes to service and we highlighted, you know, seasonal local producers of vegetables and there are already so many questions about, you know, $11 taco trios. Right. So I can only imagine. When someone's like, I'm spending $5,000 on a bottle of wine today. Right. And yeah. you're like, okay. 
I, that's a thing that happens. That Absolutely. The stakes. But right next to the person who's like, what do you have that's less than $40? And I'm like, nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's interesting because at Pineapple, where we often think of the consumer, right? Our community on the whole are women who love food and wine. And so many of us think about where our food comes from, as we said in our intro. Uh, But how can we apply this practice to learning more about where our wine comes from? And whether it's like educating ourselves in our own time, like reading things or researching things, or having conversations with, you know, our trusted sources at, you know, restaurants or retail shops. So, like, what, you know, how, how do you think about this? And maybe an interesting way to answer this question is thinking about, like, what would you wish, like, people knew or thought about or asked about coming into your establishment? I think just a base knowledge of words to use <laughs> you know Great. let's let's, let's talk about that on yeah. paper like words are signifiers right and people are like oh wine people are like pontificating about the misty mountains of morador and blah 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 but look <laughs> we, we, we sometimes yes yes those people exist but oftentimes no there are very real words that mean real things And so when you are so adamant about a wine being bone dry, my wine must be bone dry, when in actuality, the wines that you love are not, and you don't understand what that means, it's so difficult for someone to help you. Or if you, my perfect analogy is purchasing a car, right? No one goes to a car dealership and says, I'll take a car. You know, one with a steering wheel, it needs to take gas, Um, one of those things that counts the miles, uh, you know, with seats. And that's how people come to talk about wine. And it's like, how can you expect someone to help you when you have not done even a little bit of help for yourself? And so it's like, hey, I think a really great tool, I tell people all the time, John Bonet wrote an amazing beginner intro to wine called the new wine rolls it's three by five you can put it in your purse it's colorful it's cute and it just says these are the words that you use to talk about wine this is what acid means this is what tannins mean this is what new world old world this is what chardonnay tastes like and chardonnay doesn't taste buttery that's something that people do to chardonnay and the fact that that is mind-blowing to people is fine it's okay like don't don't go to a place that makes you feel bad also if it's not a safe place to know about wine go someplace else yeah but you do have to do a little bit of that like if this is something that you want to go down right you know that you like iceberg versus romaine because you just tried it so like be open to trying things but also like understand that there are very real words to use to talk about the things that you like and dislike. And if you are asking someone to help you, you have to be able to know what those words mean. Yeah. So cool. read up on it. Know kind of the definitions of these terms rather than whatever assumptions perhaps you may have. And uh, I think the other big thing is tasting it. 
right and so knowing like okay I tried this one wine and what did I like about it how could I describe it Um, and you know bring that next time I go out to eat and order a bottle of wine or go into domestique and ask for something I like think I don't know like I have always been a bit like coming from the group groups of people where tasting is the most important thing so like if you don't, if you say you like certain wines because you've had it one time and you're like, I love this, like just keep tasting wine. Drink and drink and drink. And I'm not saying like, okay, get drunk, but like at least try new things. So like go through the buy the glass list at restaurants and see what you like. And like if you don't like it, then, but, but also you might not know it. And that's why it's like triggering this like, oh, I don't know what that tastes like. I'm not sure if that's for me, but like give it a second to see if, it's either you don't like it or you've never had it before. Mm. Plus, there's so many different winemakers making different versions of wines, right? Like, just because you have a Chardonnay or Pinot Grigio or whatever at some place doesn't mean that, like, that is how that wine tastes everywhere. So also just be open to the fact that, like, have you had every single version of anything? No. So there could possibly be in this world a version of something you say that you don't like, that you do like, if you just give it a chance. And the one is, like, also being realistic of what your goal is for drinking wine. Because, like, Felicia and I work in wine. That's, like, our job is to, like, learn about wine, read about it. But, like, if you're going to dine out, do you want to try new things? Do you want to become more knowledgeable? Then, like, knowledgeable, that's easy. There's so many books and resources out there. But if you're just trying to, like, try something new, then it's fine to go to, like, to me, if you come into Domestique and, like, I'm, like, going to my friend's house for dinner, I want to look cool, I can pick you out a bottle. Or I, like, think I'm going on a date and, like, you know, he's really into Italian wine. Can you, you know, like, that's fine. Like, I'm, like, that's my job is to know what wine will be fun like to have if you're having tons of girls over and like you just want to like pound wine or if you are going to liter bottles of gruner yeah (laughs) i mean i think that's what makes each of your work so exciting is that you approach wine as more of like a lifestyle versus like you know i don't know something that's like very old school you try to match it with like a feeling and experience and that's that's really exciting um and a lot of what y'all just said really resonated with me. Um, but speaking of defining things, Felicia, we wanted to really double down now about on agriculture and viticulture specifically. So I have one question about definitions and then a, a follow-up question in addition to that. Um, so first, when it comes to viticulture, what is the difference between organic, biodynamic, and natural wine? Like and just what like just what your like lay person who enjoys drinking wine should know. All right. If there is a simple answer, I think that's yeah. There is not a simple answer, but here's the gist. There are legal requirements for organic certifications that say you have to do X, Y, and Z. If you don't do these things, you are disqualified. Same with biodynamics. Biodynamics is a bit of organics plus like magic and jesus and buddha there's moon stuff there's poop and the cow horns there's a whole bunch of stuff going on and i encourage people to like really read up on biodynamics because i mean like it works people don't know why i mean here's the thing 
if you held your child's hand <laughs> its entire life, right? When its boyfriend was like, oh, just the tip, or like, oh, we can like go somewhere. Or you, you know what I mean? Like, if your mom was there every single moment when you were like, uh, this slippery slope, and just snatched you off the slope right before you were about to like go down because she's literally standing right there, would your life not be, I don't know, better, but probably better, but definitely different in a lot of ways. I can definitely say as having an exceptional mother, there are a lot of mistakes that I would not have made, you know? I don't think they damaged me forever as a person, but there are some bruises that I could have gone without. I think that's just how biodynamics is, right? The winemaker is there every single moment. It's watching the grape, it's watching the leaves, it's watching the soil. And so if something is even about to happen, your hand is so close to the pulse that you can do small things, large things. So yeah, but biodynamics. Natural wine, I like to call it a camp that people like to set up in. Because there is no gatekeeper. There is no law saying you cannot do this. You have to do this. There's no disqualifier. And so I kind of personally sit at like a really contentious point because um, I'm certified through the quartermaster sommeliers and then continuing my you know, process. And then I follow a lot of natural wine blogs who constantly um, don't have very kind things to say about the court. And so it's like, how do these two paths that are seemingly different fit together? Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So natural wine is more of like a kind of broad uh, association with low yes. intervention wine. Yes. Versus and a specific method of agriculture, right? Can mean, right? Like within the natural wine camp, right? I bought a couple of examples specifically because I wanted to display, right? Natural wine, if you're saying that natural wine means that it is grown organically or biodynamically, they're not adding anything. They're letting the wine, right, inoculate naturally, start a natural fermentation. They're not, you know, filtering things out. Then some of the most iconic wines, we're talking about wines that cost ten and $20,000 a bottle, also fall within that camp. And so this natural wine being the wine of the people, natural wine only being wines that have what the court would call flaws, right? Where other people are like, oh, they're interesting things or depending on the wine, right? It's who is allowed to be in. And so natural wine can mean a variety of different things. If you go, for instance, those uh, wines that we tasted from the Loire Valley a couple of days ago um, were very clean wines. You know, they tasted crisp, refreshing they didn't taste like kombucha they weren't cloudy that's a natural wine right very much but also in the same hand you can have wines that look like grapefruit juice that smell like a mistake and people are also saying that this is and so where is the what what is it and so i think that sometimes people get burned by natural wine because someone literally let grape juice ferment and made that into a beverage and bottled it whereas other people are giving a little bit more thought and so I think that there just needs to be an understanding that organics and biodynamics there are requirements there is a you cannot do this you have to do this in order to gain these certifications there are uh, organizations that make a lot of money um, 
giving these certifications out, which is also a large conversation, which people um, have started to bring in because if you can't pay to play, then are you not growing by biodynamically? Are you not doing Mm -hmm. these other things? Um, But natural wine is really just that. If you go to the store and your turkey says natural on it, it means nothing. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. It's a broad term. Yeah. In any category, wine included. Mm -hmm. Um, Rebecca, you may have a response to that. Um, I don't, you know, like I work at a natural wine store and it says it on the window outside. Um, and you know, when everyone comes in the store, we have like what we say. So everything in domestique is organically or biodynamically grown or the fruit is organically or biodynamically grown. It's like low sulfur or no sulfur added, but that's like a range. Um, and then, yeah, that's it. I never have worked anywhere that has a huge natty wine list. You know, to Amy's, Peter hates natural wine, but he makes it in California. Do you know what I mean? So if he, the wine he makes there is like, you know, grown organically, it's low sulfur, but like he hates saying that term. So like that's where I come from. But I think the store is very like terroir driven, producer driven wines. Um, and I don't know. I'm I'm like more someone who's very I like love being on the fence of things. I like like being this way and that way. Like I don't like firm lines ever. Um, so I like the natural wine community. I think if someone comes into the store and they're like super excited about something they saw on TV or Instagram, it's like awesome. Like I'm so glad you're here and I don't really know how you got here, but if it was some like show on Netflix that I haven't seen then awesome like so I don't know I I don't mind that there aren't hard rules and I kind of like that about the natural wine community um but at the store we are very strict everything's organic and biodynamically grown so it's very clear but the natural wine term is like insanely broad um yeah and it just can cover a lot of a range of wine so totally it's broad and it can be triggering for some. I know, but I like that too. I like that it makes some people mad. <laughs> I uh, think it only makes like people who think that wine is one specific thing mad, right? Mm. I'm like, hey, if we're making an inclusive term, okay. But like, let's really make it inclusive on both sides. You know what I mean? Like, as well as the person who wants to let their glue glue flag fly, right? DRC is growing biodynamic wine and has for... <laughs> I don't know, ever, not ever, but for a long time. What is DRC? I'm so sorry, uh, wine um, abbreviations. DRC stands for uh, Domaine de la Romanée Conti, um, which is an appellation uh, that produces some of the most iconic um, and expensive wine um, in uh, Bordeaux. I thought you were saying that the Democratic (laughs) Republic of Congo was producing wine, which maybe they are, but that was getting me excited. (laughs) Thank you for explaining. Um, It is, when people are like, oh, I saw this wine, and it was, it's like, yeah, you know, um, they have some pretty iconic appellations, um, and they produce some, you know, some of the wines that people are like, oh, people are going to spend $20,000 on wine. Right. Like, yeah, people spend a lot of money on a lot of different things. But um, it's it's a camp of people saying, you know, um, this $5 wine counts and this $20,000 wine doesn't count, even though they're grown and made the exact same way. Uh-huh. And does two-buck chuck count? 
Um, I feel like that just totally like, took the, our combo to a different place. But, but like that wine, it doesn't. Right, people in this country only see wine as a specialty item. They need to see it as a grocery item. In the rest of the world, people drink wine every day. It's probably the first thing you get drunk on because it's cheaper than anything else. Yeah. Right, and so like there is a utility for two book chuck. I am not a palate shamer. If two book chuck is delicious to you, I am so thankful for you because your palate has not gotten to the point where like you just can't drink it anymore. If I could still get drunk on cheap wine, well, sometimes I do, but like there's some wine that I'm just like. I would rather be sober. Right. Same. <laughs> feel that. 100%. Same, same, same. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to um, dig into our tasting now. Uh, nice. We're very grateful. Felicia and Rebecca um, brought us some awesome women-made wines uh, from around the world. Um, and before, Felicia, you introduced the first wine we're drinking, I'm hoping that through this tasting, we can uh, talk about the connection between how the grapes were grown. So like earlier, we were talking about like organic, biodynamic, or other ways that the grapes were grown, or how the wine was made in the cellar after, and then what we're tasting in the glass, um, just so that we have some benchmarks to share with our community. And I would add, uh, you know, if, if y'all want to also talk about some of the problems that producers might be facing, ways for our community to support them, I think that's also really great information to share. I'm sorry, what was that? I said, uh, if you could also share some of the problems that are facing uh, producers in your network, um, ways for our community to support them and uh, patron those uh, businesses, that would be great. All right, so let's, what's our first wine? First wine is um, a sparkling wine, um, and it looks like, I don't know, what does it look like? <laughs> um, Cranberry juice. I like, it's I'm purple. getting strong grape, yeah, like yeah. purple grape juice vibes. Purple grape juice vibes, yeah, definitely. Um, this is... Are you making fun of me, Felicia? No, it, that's, exact, <laughs> no that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like unfiltered Concord grape juice. Yes. Um, for sure. And it's electric color and... Uh, it kind of has this like hazy thing going on too, but um, this is one of my favorite wines from this past um, year. Um, this is from Old Westminster. Um, this is from our neighborhood in Maryland. Um, and when I was like, Maryland makes wine, get out of here. Um, it does. And Old Westminster is made by one of my favorite, 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 favorite winemakers, um, Lisa, who just had her baby not too long ago. Um, and her sister, Ashley, and her brother, Drew. And they're just like, they're just awesome. Uh, and Piquette is a, a style um, of sparkling wine that is generally made after harvest. Um it is made from the sticks and the stems and the whatever. Uh, it's what you give to your field hands. It's like, hey, guys, we're going to get drunk. It's like second press also. Yep. Yeah. Um, so. I didn't, what is second press? Like? I know. I was like, I try not to like dig into holes unless I'm like, all right, we're Sorry, going in. I, I, I put us in the hole. No, it's okay. Uh, we can talk about pressing grapes um, for a second or really quickly how wine is made. Uh, you take grapes um, and there's juice inside of them. Uh, you either press that juice away from the skins um, and you make white wine. You can make white wine from red grapes doing that. Um, or you leave the juice and the skins together. Um, that is the process for red wine uh, and also orange wine. Um, that 
starts to ferment, right? And then that is essentially wine. So during that pressing process, there's a number of presses that you can use that give you different amounts of extraction. Uh, Extraction being the color, the tannins, right? That drying sensation you get in your mouth um, in wine. And so depending on the press uh, that the winemaker decides to use or the number of pressings uh, that they use, right? Um, You get a different style of wine, right? The first pressing kind of being, or uh, really not pressing at all, free run is juice that just freely froze flows from grapes due to gravity that is a very clean pristine um gentle delicate juice right Uh, that first pressing you can use a basket press think like a basket inside of the basket grapes just sitting in there being squished um you can use that to press out juice or something called a pneumatic press um it is think of a water balloon inside of a water balloon uh the first water balloon expands the grapes are in between the first and second and it presses the grapes inside that second water balloon that second water balloon is actually like a steel cage so the grapes are being pressed against the steel cage right awesome and felicia this is super delicious we love old westminster winery and if you're in dc you can get their wines at dio and domestique yeah domestique and drew's actually coming down on sunday and doing a tasting with us so you can meet him and ask him all the questions and he can go about I don't know. I think he's, I'm not sure what he's, we have the piquette at the store. Um, it's actually one of the things we sell a lot of. People are obsessed with it. So good. Um, and, but I think he's bringing a couple of their other things. Um, but yeah. he just went to Gudegal actually in Austria. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Um, and so I think he's going to talk a little bit about his trip there and biodynamics. Yeah, that's fun. Cool. They have a new biodynamic project that they're um, launching this year too. So I'll look out for that because that's super exciting. It's called yeah. Burnt Hill. Yeah. Um, We're excited to watch that as well. Yeah. Lisa was actually our first uh, natural wine, like our first guest for our natural wine event that we did uh, two plus years ago. Yeah. Isn't she the best? And she how does is. she look like a movie star? I'm no. like, come on. Totally. Yeah. Um, and so just like for all of you who are not in the studio with us, like I would say as a non-wine person that this is a really approachable wine. Um, it's like really easy to drink. It's fun. It would be like good in any setting, um, especially like casual settings. Uh, and it's like not clean. Like I wouldn't describe this as a like clean wine. Unfiltered, right? That second press, a little bit cloudy, um, but not funky. Right? Can you describe some of the tasting notes? I'm getting a little bit of like citrus. Um, so for me, that's like... I don't want to say astringent because that does not sound um, appealing. Um, This tastes like when you're eating grapes, red grapes, and you accidentally bite the end where the grape is still attached to the vine, the stem, and you get that with the grape. So it's like juicy, it's grapey, but it also has this stemmy quality to it, which I don't know. It sounds kind of like it's unappealing, but it's green. It tastes like I want to eat charcuterie Mm, i want to have a big old root vegetable salad yeah yeah all right well let's go on to our next bottle um i'm sorry that we don't have a receptacle for our leftovers i think we'll have to just drink a lot of wine today in the studio Um, we're a little bit less lucia gives nice pours (laughs) yes what do we want to do next um you know i think that we should um go into um, 
This is one of my favorite wines. I'm really excited. Just to give you like a little rinse. Yeah, we'll rinse just rinse out. it out a little bit. Um, because uh, Laura, is, Laura Bissell is the maker of Akanu. Uh, Akanu is coming to us um, from Contra Costa County, and that is um, in California. And it's uh, California is getting a lot of um, sub ADAs uh, that stands for American Viticulture Area. It's kind of uh, what wine people designate. Sorry, I'm sorry, guys. I've said small pours, and then I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's my day off, so my bad. Um, Contra Costa County, yeah. It just um, California's getting a lot of sub ADAs because um, they are realizing with uh, our weather um, changing as it is that there are pockets of places that are just like different it's just a different place you're in a hot place and then all of a sudden there's a pocket and it's not um and that's where she's growing this um wine this is sauvignon blanc um and i know you ladies can kind of see in the glass um that it is cloudy i i wanted to give a couple of depictions of different styles of natural winemaking um this is a skin contact white wine right um orange wine for some people out there but this hasn't quite gotten into that orange hue um wines get white wines get that orange color um due to uh right contact with the skin and oxidation right just if you cut an apple air hits it it turns brown same thing with wine and so uh it's light version of that and so you're starting to get some of those kind of right tart richer um i like to call them curdy right lemon curd textures um but it's still like Focus. Still easy to drink. It has kind of a saltiness to it. Um, I definitely am like, this kind of tastes like... A pretzel. Cal- yeah. <laughs> like California Albarino. <laughs> like a pretzel. Yeah. It, it does have a salt lick. Hmm. Everyone makes fun of me because when I go out to get wine, I always ask for a salty wine. And nice. I get a puzzled look in return, but it's really what I like to drink. Yeah. Oh, no, so I like want to <laughs> do a salinity tasting at Domestique because I'm Ooh. like, I had like a... Albarino the other day, so salty. I love so salty good. lime. Oh my gosh, yes. Me too. Obsessed. Yeah. And, and it, it, it just makes you want to drink. Yeah. Does that at all correlate to the like grapes being grown like by the ocean or the sea? In some places, yes. I, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, the Albarino is like grown pergola style right on the Atlantic Ocean. In some ways, no. Like, well, uh, there's like a... Um, because I love Riesling and like... There's a, oh, dude, I can't remember the, there's like famous book, of, like Riesling is the greatest grape on earth or something. And he <laughs> writes about how terroir and like the closeness to the Mosul River actually doesn't affect like salinity and like, and how that's like a misnomer. But then you drink certain wines and you're like, it's clearly like salt. Water. Yeah, it's like clearly connected to where it's from. Chablis so being like a really yeah. great um, example of that, which is a good segue for our next one. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Take us there, Felicia. Um, yeah, no, like it, we, um, you were just saying, like some places, yeah, it very much is that like there is actual sea spray watering these pergola grown Albarino vines, right? Hanging off the side of these cliffs in, um, in Rio Spicious. Um, but sometimes it's just that like, it's pH or like the way that wine, there's wine and winemaking um, and a way that grapes are grown and the way that wine is made is not necessarily the same um, thing and, and what can happen during that process can add um, or take away uh, flavors. Um, so this is 
my favorite wine um, of all last year. Um, Ooh. Period. What, a, what an honor. Yeah. Um, I was introduced to it. This actually comes uh, to D.C. from our friends at Native Selections. They also are a producer-based um, or producer-driven uh, import house here in the city. Um, and they um, this comes from Zev. Uh, Zevro Bean Selections. Um, Zev is a super awesome dude. He brings in some cool nerdy wines that are all over Instagram a lot um, of the time. But um, this is a Chablis that changed my life. And it's called Chateau de Beirut. Yes. Um, B-E-R-U Beirut. It is grapes and sunshine and lemon cheesecake and like... All of the, like, I talk about it, and my mouth is like, drink it, drink it. Um, <laughs> I've been drinking wine blind recently, not not knowing what the grape is, uh, not knowing what the color of the wine is. And uh, when you drink wine blind and you don't know, you dial into this, like, layer of texture that this wine just, like, nails. Um, and I think this is really when we start to get into what agriculture uh, and really thoughtful winemaking brings. Um, this wine is made by an amazing winemaker, but I don't know how to pronounce her name because I don't speak French. Um, but she is growing with her husband and daughter, um, just Chardonnay. Um, they are growing it um, very, very like far apart in a region chablis is known for a type of soil called kimmeridgian um it's old oyster shells and so when people start to talk about wines that taste like a place um chablis when you drink it is known to have this salty chalky backbone and even in and every producer and almost every expression that is something that is varietally known to Chardonnay that's grown in Chablis, um, Chablis being the place. And so um, this wine is just grown so carefully. It's hand-picked. She just stainless steel ages it. And the way that Chablis gets the texture that it gets is because of um, the yeast cells, right? When the wine, the yeast um, is eating up all of that sugar during that fermentation, turning that juice into wine, um, you can stir them up and it gives a texture, a creaminess to the wine. And she does it so often that the wine just has this like blanket. It's like custard. Yes. That's yes. really yummy. So anyways, that that is, it, it's the best. It's just natural this is unfiltered this is unfined this is grown biodynamically i'm sorry this is grown organically um and this is four hectares that they hand pick so um some very 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 thoughtful careful winemaking all the way through that produces a natural wine that is pristine yeah it looks almost yeah. viscous in the glass yeah yeah it's super clean um, and beautiful. And actually, both uh, Felicia and I were at Raw Wine in Brooklyn last November, and the owner winemaker was there. And I follow her on Instagram. I also like forget her name, but I was just like, I my I was there with my boyfriend. And I was like, Oh my god, Jeffrey, that's her. I love her. I'm obsessed with her. But like, I forget her name. But I know she makes like Chablis and. Um, I have the biggest lady crush on her. Like, I meet famous people all the time because, like, I work in fine dining. But, like, winemakers, when I meet mm-hmm. them and I'm like, I've had your wine. They're such unsung heroes. <laughs> um, Rebecca, we're going to get to yours because it's, like, a great one to round out. But, uh, actually, I have one question for you because 
on this like journey of connecting producers to like what we taste in our glass at restaurants or when we pick up a bottle i think people are increasingly becoming interested in producer visits like you were saying you had like uli's one you're like i gotta go and i remember last year i went to france with my mom and i was trying to like leave paris for a day to like go to a woman winemaker and i was like trying to like find one on the internet and i was like how do i do this is this like not like can i do this if i'm not like an importer or like a som and so can you just like talk about like visiting a producer and like what that entails like for example chateau de Beru, the wine that we're drinking the yep. chablis she has a chateau and you can book a guest room so like that one it's very clear okay yep. i'll pay you money and go um but for some others like marie um who yes. i spoke with on Sunday, she was like, my email is on the bottle. Like, yeah, yeah. it is just me on the vineyard <laughs> and in the cellar. Feel free to come by. And I was like, tight. But, like, yeah. different scenario. Um, I've done, like, a couple trips. So, for the Mosul, I went um, completely by myself. And was n- I was just started working at Weigand Metzler. So, they set me up with all of their people. But everyone else, like, I saw a lot of people in Valmont Bowden portfolio. So I would suggest either, one, working through the importer, so figuring out who that is, and like let and just send like a gushing email, like you, lo- oh, just like a little bit for that yeah, one. Yeah, this is, like, you can share with Felicia. I can share with Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, just like uh, send an email, and then you try and find their email address. So that's like the hardest part, honestly, is like technology is not the same as it is like in the Loire Valley in like a small place or in the Mosul. But I would work with the importer first and then you can just send them an email honestly and say, this is what I do, I've had your wines. And if you haven't had their wines, I wouldn't go visit them. If like try their wines first and like do some research because it's not gonna, it's gonna be like not as interesting you won't have any, you won't learn anything else because you'll be asking the basic questions. Like, you don't want to be like, what's this grape? You know what I mean? Like, you want to ask things that you would never be able to ask if you weren't sitting with them. Um, so I think, like, do a little research. Show that you've done research when you email either the importer or the producer. And then just, like, and also, do, people always schedule, like, crazy in advance. Like, it's, like their lives are busy and you coming to visit in six months might be the most important thing on your calendar but like you could go that day and they're like totally forgot about you and all of a sudden you've driven like like for Uli Stein like I was like calling his brother and like he didn't speak English and I'm like lost in the Mosul do you know what I mean and like it's understandable because he's got eight million other things to do so like find the importer find their email don't worry about booking like eight million months in advance and follow up like the day of or the week of saying like, I'm actually coming, I'm here so that they rem- like remember. Right. And like you guys are both in the wine industry. So, you know, you visiting Uli means you can like sell his wines better, you know, in the States, for example. Um, yeah. If you're just like a person who loves wine and like wants to visit, you know, a cool producer because you love her wines. Like, is that kosher? Yes, one hundred. Yeah, yeah, I think yes, and I think that just like retail is always. I always tell people get a good retail shop because like it's so easy for people to come to you and spend 
15 minutes of your evening being like hey i'm about to plan this trip like do you know anybody and then you can maybe go back to maybe you can literally go back to the winemaker because they came to the shop and you met them or you can go back to someone who met the winemaker or you can reach wine people already have those resources and so if you're not a wine person i would say number one you have to find a good safe wine community and that is a good safe retail shop and that doesn't necessarily mean it's like the retail shop that sells all of the wine you're looking for right because like wygant is one of my favorite retail shops but like unless you're looking for nerdy austrian stuff it's maybe not or jura like you might need to go someplace else but that doesn't mean that they don't have the resources to like get you to the person that you need to get to so i would say like ask your wine people find good wine people good safe ones that don't make you feel bad and then like make a community out of it because the wine community truly is very small yeah Yeah. thank you both those were both like really great tips on how to how to meet your producers um, and unfortunately, y'all, we really have to we have to wrap up. But we have one more really special beverage that Rebecca brought for us. So, Rebecca, can you briefly tell us about what you brought to the um, studio? So I gave a little thought to it. I was like, I'm going to bring something very women centric. And so I went to Alsace with Elena, who was a psalm at Comey. And we went to Weinbach, who was originally started by two brothers. And then the... <laughs> Um, and then his wife uh, took over the estate and she had three daughters, which is kind of a big deal if you are a winemaker because usually the guy takes over. Um, so, uh, yeah, so this is still run by Catherine, Colette's daughter. And I went there in two years ago now and I brought back an Udavie and this is a plum one. Mm-hmm. And it's a specific plum that's grown in Alsace. And I don't know, I'm like, a, anywhere, anytime I go anywhere, these, this is what I bring back. So things that like are never brought back in, or imported into the U.S. And um, is, they make you dizzy, but there's... Odevies are distillates from fruit. Yeah. And, but, and also, some, so you. this one, sometimes they can be distillates. That's like the correct definition, but sometimes they'll make it with like the leftover grape must so this one is like a combination um so it's plum and grape yeah but it's you the grape is like a neutral spirit like you wouldn't taste it um but they do make ones out of like gewürztraminer which is a very aromatic grape um but this one is like cool because it's like literally trees grown like in their yard in this like beautiful estate and it was like a small little project that um her now Catherine's son is like really into so I've never seen this I didn't even know they made it and I carry the wines here in the restaurant and this would be more of a digestif um it's yeah so it's something you'd have after dinner um but it's like crazy aromatic and so effing clean and they're like or they're organic yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um but their wines are incredible and so i thought it was something special to share actually is special indeed thank you for sharing that with us and it's like a clear beverage like it does not look like wine oh yeah well it's a spirit so it's not wine but it's it actually is like makes you really connect the whole story that wine is a product of a place and it's like a commodity and they like out of the leftover like grape must they make something else and i like that's very cool 
Well, thank you both so much for being here. Uh, if you're in DC or if you're traveling to DC, go and visit Felicia and Rebecca. Felicia's at A Rake's Progress. And her Instagram is at Cuvee Queen. Cuvee Queen. Cuvee Queen, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, <laughs> follow her. She is amazing. And Rebecca, you can find her at Domestique. And yes. what is your handle, Rebecca? Um, my Instagram handle is Where's the Bathroom? And I'm really <laughs> trying to make it have more followers, but no one's into it except me. So... Um, Three new followers right yes, here yes, doing exactly, it. Exactly. Um, I know I should become more professional, but I just don't think I ever will. That's why I like oh. wine. Well, <laughs> all good. go and visit her also at the shop in Domestique. Um, I'm Atara, and I'm here with Ariel. We're the co-founders of Pineapple. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts, covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.